As Pastor Brian said just a minute ago, we're starting a new series today called Love Thy Neighbor. Let's say that together. Love thy neighbor. Oh, man, we need to learn how to love. You know, for 10 weeks, we sat in the gospel, the book of Galatians, and we just saturated ourselves in the gospel. And we're going to take four weeks and saturate ourselves in what it means to love each other. What it means to love each other. Out of this amazing text that comes in Luke chapter 10. It's a story that we've all heard. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. We've all heard it. Most of us have heard it. Maybe one or two here hasn't heard it. But you know, sometimes I just get so full of the love of God. I think, Lord, how can we love others more? And I just, I feel like this is a series that the Lord just wants our church to say, we we need to love each other. The people sitting around, look at the people around you right now. Just get some little eye contact. Would you just look around and just see people this morning? And the Bible says we need to learn how to love each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, more, better. But we also need to learn how to love the people that are not in these seats, the people that are in our workplace, the people that live next door to us, that drive in and out of our street every day. We got to learn how to love those folks, people in our culture. And, And I think we do a really pretty good job loving each other here, the people you just looked at. We do a pretty good job. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for a church that loves each other. I really do. We have, and we've got some problems too. I heard this morning, <laughs> I heard this morning that some, you know, this whole traffic thing, traffic is hard at Three Crosses. And we're trying to fix that and we're working at it. We got CHP now helping us get out in the mornings, you know, so we can get everyone in and out. And I heard last week, on Easter Sunday, last week, one of our traffic guys got flipped off by one of our people. <laughs> you know, so I went to Pastor Mark. I said, Mark, why did you do that? Why? why? <laughs> I just, you know, it's, I just, it's just funny to me. I think, I think, what are we doing, you know? Now, who knows? Maybe that person just said, I'm going to give church a shot today. I haven't been to church in 10 years. Well, you know, I don't know. And maybe, maybe, you know, the traffic team said go right and he wanted to go left. I don't know. But I just thought, that, that, that should not happen at church. You should not hear your pastor say, somebody flip somebody off in the sermon. You should not hear that. Okay, so we have problems. But we are a loving church. We really are. I mean, honestly, I am so, it's one thing to be told to love people. It's another thing to feel loved. And I feel so loved here. I do. Thank you for those of you that actually show me love. I mean, and I hope I show you a lot of love too. I mean, there's, there ought to be just love, love, love everywhere. But when we leave this place, that's where it really should count. Really, our love, I mean, think of, we are an army of lovers going out into our community. And if our community saw us that way, what a difference it would make. I mean, here we're making room, you know, here we're making room. For who? For people that are going to be the object of our love this week. And they're going to say, oh my goodness, I, who loves me this way? I want to go and find out what makes you love me that way. That's the heart of this series. That's everything. That's practically the whole message. 
right there. But I've got a few more minutes, so. <laughs> Let's read the text and just see what the Lord has to say to us. Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, what, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, Gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will re reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Okay, well... Now, most of us, when we think of the parable of the Good Samaritan, we think of, oh, this is the way we love people. We look for people that are hurt or damaged or down on their luck or whatever, and we help them. That's the Good Samaritan. <laughs> and that's why Jesus told the story. But the answer to that is, actually not. The parable of the Good Samaritan does include this beautiful narrative of how we can care for others. And that's part of this series. That's next week. But this week is a different approach because this week is actually laying the foundation for this whole thing. And Jesus told this parable to this expert in the law, not so that this expert in the law would know how to love somebody, but who to love. Jesus, when he asked the question, look at verse 37. From the question of who is my neighbor to verse 37 where Jesus says, uh, who was, excuse me, verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell among the hands of robbers? And the expert said, the one who had mercy on him. The expert, he couldn't even say the name Samaritan because the whole purpose of this parable was to rock this guy's world. The purpose of the parable was to help this man see that the neighbor was the one he couldn't see and didn't want to see. That's the purpose of the parable. The purpose of this parable is to show us who our neighbor is. Okay, so, if you're taking notes, here's where we're going to go. When it comes to loving others, I think this parable shows us that we've all got blind spots. Blind spots. You know what blind spots are. Remember when you learned how to drive? You're a driver and instructor. Now when you change lanes, remember, when you look in the mirror you're going to have a blind spot. So you just don't look in the mirror, you turn your shoulder over, right? You look over your shoulder. When you're changing lanes, you know that there may be a car in your blind spot. 
I ride a motorcycle. I consider myself in everybody's blind spot. That's the way I ride because you just are not seen. And people fall into our blind spots. People that we just don't see, people that we can't see, people that we don't want to see. Blind spots are common even among religiously devoted people, and that's the point of this parable. Now, when Jesus asked, when this young man asked what, what, uh, what the great, when Jesus asked this young man what the great commandment was, this man answered. He, and he answered with the golden verses of Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19.18. He he reduced the law to what Jesus said were the key points of the law. And some people see that what Luke records here in Luke 10 are, is the exact same story of what we find in two other places, in Matthew and, and Mark. But I think this was enough of the narrative and the discussion among rabbis of the day that they were always discussing which was the greatest of the laws. In, in rabbinical thought, there were 613 laws in the Old Testament, and there was always this debate over which ones were the most important. Which ones were the most crucial? In fact, could there possibly be even one that was the most crucial? And when this young man gave the response, Jesus said, this is good. Look at verse uh, uh, 28. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. The, The Greek word correctly there is the word we get orthodox from. He said, you are spot on. You have answered this textbook But the problem is, this young man was textbook in his response, but he was not living it out. There's one thing to knowing the right thing. There's a lot of us here today that are orthodox in our thinking. But orthodox doesn't necessarily mean that we're living it out, does it? You can be orthodox, you can be correct, and be all wrong at the same time. You can be right on your theology and wrong on the way you live your life. And this young man wanted to justify himself. He, it wasn't good enough that he got the, the answer correct on the exam. He wanted to make sure that he was all the way okay. And so he asks, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells this story. And this guy is, we can't understand how offensive this story is. And, and I like to use this offense to sort of build the rest of this sermon, which is not going to be very long, looking at the time. And it's okay, because you're going to get it, like, super fast. (laughs) What Jesus is saying is, when when your blind spots are exposed, what you discover is that you have a bias. And the bias tells you that there are some people that you've given yourself sort of a a pass, okay? And, And for this young guy, he couldn't, he couldn't actually say the word Samaritan because he hated Samaritans. And so he just gives the orthodox answer, the guy who had mercy. But Jesus actually, I think what Jesus was baiting this guy to say, I dare you to say the word Samaritan in the context of actually helping your people, the Jews. This was the problem this young guy had. So if you're taking notes, here's, here's what I want you to write down. It's, it's hard to love people we simply don't see. It's hard to love people we don't see, Right? Uh, sure, and, and we, can, we can be blinded from seeing a lot of people. Now, I'm going to suggest that between the Jews and the Samaritans, there were four reasons why this young guy did not see Samaritans. 
and, and you're going to see these kind of come out in our own life experiences as well. Okay, so if you're taking notes, first of all, we can be blinded from seeing people that we don't like, okay, or that we dislike, same thing. Um, whatever might be said about the relationship that existed between Jews and Samaritans, one thing stood out. These folks didn't like each other at all. Now, we forget that in this parable, this was meant to be a shocking reality to this young man. Now, Jesus, if he was talking to a Samaritan, he could have used the same story and just inverted the whole context. He could have said a Samaritan was walking down the road, and he got beat up by these people, and then along came a Jew, and the Jew helped him. He could have told it that way if he was talking to a Samaritan. But he was talking to a Jew who wanted to, wanted to have himself sort of like, you know, like I'm okay. And so Jesus sort of builds this argument to show him why he couldn't see this young man. Why he couldn't see a Samaritan. And he couldn't see the Samaritan because he doesn't like Samaritans. There are people in our lives that we don't like too. And we have our reasons for not liking them. We've got lots of reasons for not liking them. And when it came to Jews and Samaritans, their reasons for not liking each other go all the way back to 1 Kings chapter 12. And we won't turn there, but I'd like you to write that down in your notes because it's a fascinating story. When Solomon leaves the world, his son, uh, Rehoboam, takes, takes the throne. And he gets advice, you know, the people from Israel come to Rehoboam and they say, you know, your dad made it really hard on us and we're just kind of wondering, this is paraphrase, we're just kind of wondering if it's going to go better for us now that you're king. And so he thinks for a minute and he goes, I'll be back to you on that, I'll get back to you. So he goes and he checks in with his peers. He doesn't go to the advice, uh, the advice of, of his father's counsel said, you know, uh, you know, be gentle with these people, take care of them, do the right thing by them, uh, let them know that you're going to be a good king. But he goes to his peers, and his peers say, oh, you ought to tell them that you thought my dad was bad, I'm going to be even worse. And so he takes the counsel of his peers, and all of Israel flees. They say, we're out of here, forget it, so civil war begins. Everybody goes to the north, a king, a, a guy by the name of Jeroboam. It gets really confusing. Jeroboam and Rehoboam, oh, it's just crazy. Anyway, Jeroboam becomes the king of northern Israel. And from that point on in Israel's history, you've got a divided kingdom. Because one guy didn't listen to good counsel and followed the counsel of his peers, and everything just went downhill. Then after centuries go by and God's people continue to fall in sin and northern kingdom actually gets exiled by the Assyrians and the Assyrians move into northern Israel and they, some of them intermarry with some of the Israelites that were still there at the time and that becomes sort of a, a, a half-breed people, half Assyrian, half Jewish and this, this area of northern Israel became sort of a blight to southern Israel. And the, southern Israel, Judah, Benjamin, the two tribes in the south, kept pointing their fingers. Ah, we told you, you guys were wrong, blah, blah, blah. And then they go off into exile too from the Babylonians, right? I mean, you know, just, it's just it's a strife and, strife and error and hatred. And, and, you know, just it's, it's like what happens in churches sometimes too, by the way. Division, splitting up, people pointing fingers. God's people ticked off at each other. And you know, this is the, this is the sad plight of, of, of religion oftentimes. It becomes so divisive in our relationships. And so the Samaritans and the Jews, they just did not get along. And so Jesus is just pointing simply that, that this young man couldn't see them because they, they just didn't like him. 
the Samaritans always thought that they were the more holy of God's people. They were the ones that didn't, you know, follow the wicked ruler Rehoboam. They were the ones that held true to the Pentateuch, the canon of Moses. They were the ones that had all, they had all the reasons why they thought they were the, the right ones. They were like the Hatfields and the McCoys. You remember in John chapter 8, the religious leaders accused Jesus. <laughs> they accused Jesus of being a cursed Samaritan and demon-possessed. That was like the lowest blow they could come up with. You're like a cursed Samaritan. This, is, this is, shows the, the rank, the rancor of what was going on between the Jews and the Samaritans. I have a, a guy that I've been discipling here at Three Crosses, uh, just a, a great man. You know, he's... He's kind of my peer. He's a little younger than me, but just, uh, just a, a tremendous man. And he tells me there's a guy that he occasionally goes to Pete's. He's usually up here, but he goes to Pete's. And there's a guy down there that just caught his eye one day and thought that he looked at him a little weird. And th- this guy always, when he sees him, <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to say it again, flips him off. The, the guy that I'm discipling gets flipped off by this guy that's at Pete's. All the time. And so this last week, it just was bugging him. So he's never done anything, never said anything to this guy. This guy just has it out for him. Isn't that weird? And so we talked about it and we prayed about it. And so this guy, the guy I've been kind of helping a little bit, he goes down and he waits for him to come to Pete's. <laughs> and, and he goes and he says, hey, look, I don't know what happened. I don't know where you got, but can I buy you a cup of coffee? Can we just sit down and and, and he told me later, he goes, you know, the guy, it, it, it was a stiff, kind of sticky conversation, but it was okay. It, you know, we, we worked it out a little bit. I thought, awesome. But, you know, people like that, there's people like that in our lives, aren't there? People that, I don't mean that they literally, you know, give us the, the hand motion all the time, but they, they, it feels that way. It feels like when we're around them, we're just always getting, you know, we're always getting dug by them. And so I guarantee it, Jesus said, if you can't think of that person in a way of loving that person, you can't love your neighbor. So think about the people in our lives right now that, that we don't see because we just don't like them. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, he said love your neighbor. Excuse me, he said, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. So not only should we just you know, have eyes for our, the people that don't get along with us or that we don't get along with them, but we should actually love them. Okay, so uh, it's actually important that we love people that we may not even like. Okay, you got that? I mean, we're to love people that we might not even like. And you say, that's impossible. I can't love somebody that I don't like. Yes, you can, because love is not an emotion. Love is an action. What does 1 Corinthians 13 say? Love is patient, kind, does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, rejoices in the truth. It protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's all action. That's nothing to do with how I feel in the moment. That's a choice that I make. And so who are the people that you might have an attitude toward? People that are difficult to love. And this is where it does come down to very practical things. Parents who have disowned you, abused you, neglected you, kids who have shown disrespect to you, stolen money from you, physically abusive to you, bosses who haven't treated you fairly, people in politics, in entertainment, public servant roles, people who have treated you unfairly. There's an endless list of candidates that we don't like and we will never love them if we don't see them. Do you get that? 
we got to see them. This could be your actual neighbor too. People who crowd your driveways with their cars, make it hard to move your garbage bins around, allow their pet to do their business on your lawn or garden. They play music into the light, annoyingly into the night, keeping you awake. Their car is loud. They wake you up every morning when they leave for work. These are the kinds of people that you simply don't see spiritually. You don't see them as people that would be objects of your love. You just got to put up with them. And that's, this has got to change. Three crosses. This has to change. We have got to look at people that annoy us and say, somehow I've got to figure out a way to love this person to Jesus. We've got to go after those people. And that's why Jesus told this parable to this young guy. Yeah, you're orthodox, but you had no idea. You've got to love the people you actually hate. <laughs> There's a second thing here. We're blinded from people that we, that we don't like. We're also blinded from seeing people that we feel superior over. Now, Jews felt superior to the Samaritans. Samaritans felt superior to the Jews. To the Jews, the capital city was Jerusalem. To the Samaritans, the capital city was north, Bethel or Samaria. True worshipers gathered in the temple at Jerusalem, not these makeshift temples in Bethel and Dan. There was this better-than mentality that fueled the Jew-Samaritan conflict, and it still exists today. If you travel to Israel today, there is actually Samaritanism. Still, today, it's still a divide. The Samaritans and the Jews. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.15, we'll put it on the screen, he said, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the what? The worst. You know, when you see yourself in the gospel context, you see yourself as the one that is truly the greatest of all offenders to God. But if you don't, then you look at others as greater offenders than you. And you have a superior feeling to them. If you don't see yourself as the worst of sinners, everybody else seems worse by comparison. It's difficult to see people that you feel superior to. That's why Paul wrote to Philippians to the Philippians and he said in chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value yourselves, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests but also for the interests of others. Think of the people that you think you are superior to. I'm just going to throw out a few categories here. Uh, how about people in the service industry? When you go to a hotel, do you even notice the people that make your room up? Do you have any conscious of fact of, of who they are, what their names are? When you go to a restaurant every week with the same person, business associate, and the person comes and waits on your table, do you even know their name? Or is it sort of like, hey, I need a little more water over here. Hey, where, are they? where is that wait? Where is that waiter? And you got this attitude going. If you're in service, you know that you are invisible to most people. They could care less about you. You're just there to serve their needs. Three crosses. This has to change. We have to know the people that serve us. We've got to know the people by name and love them by name. Tell them we think of them. Tell them we pray for them. Tell them we're thankful for them. When you see police officers, firefighters in the community, you should know their names. If they're in your street, if they come to your house, you should know who they are. Do the best you can this week. Here's the, this is the action point for this message today. Is I want you to notice people all week long today, this week. I want you to learn names. I want you to think about people that you just never see. They go by you. When I go somewhere and stay overnight, 
my wife and I, we go down to a little bed and breakfast. I love getting to know the people that work there. And I, I get to know them by name. I call them on the phone. Hey, it's Larry. I want them to know who I am. I want them to know I know who they are. When I show up and the little gals are doing the little breakfast thing to bring the food out, I, I come out into the kitchen and I say, oh man, that was the best, best breakfast I've ever had. I just like lavish love on them because I want them to know that I care about them and maybe for an opportunity to share the gospel with them or for them to see the gospel in my life. And I'm not saying that because, and believe me, I, people are invisible to me too. This message is like a reminder to me. There are people all over the place that I don't see. Who are the people that we feel superior to? Uneducated people, perhaps. People struggling in poverty. Homeless people. People struggling with addictions. Maybe smokers. People who are, drink alcohol to excess. Criminals. People who live in some area of town. People who drive a certain kind of car. People who vote a certain kind of way. People who I feel superior with uh, in some area of my life. We've all got people that we think we've got a better thing than them. And you know what? If that's true, you're not going to see them. Just like the Samaritans couldn't see the Jews and the Jews couldn't see the Samaritans. There's a third thing, quickly. We can be blinded from seeing people we don't like, blinded from people that we feel superior. We can be blinded from seeing people who are racially or ethnically different from us. The Jews and the Samaritans were ethnically different. They were racially the same. But they were ethnically different. They were from the north. You know, when you look at the early church in Acts chapter 2, you realize that this church began with the whole world at the door at Pentecost. I mean, Acts chapter 2, God-fearing Jews over every nation under heaven, Parthians, Medes, Ilmites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, on and on and on it goes. I mean, when you go to the end of the book of, of the Bible, the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 5, where you see this amazing score of people around the throne of God, and it says, they say, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Listen, the church of Jesus Christ is to be a multi-ethnic, multi-racial community of people that have one thing in mind, one thing in common, that is the Lord Jesus Christ is our King and he's given us marching orders to take his gospel to the whole world. And, and we are to love each other and we cannot love people that we don't see and we often don't see people that are of other races, other ethnicities. Look around, by the way. Here, take another, just look around here this morning. We got, the nations are here today. You know, we have a ministry called ICF, or ISF, Inter International Students Fellowship. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what did I say? What did I call it? Anyway, it's IC ISF. And, and they're going to be at the mission center this morning because I just got this brainstorm and I said, our people need to know about this because we, we serve the students of Cal State, East Bay, and some of the local colleges that are international students. They come over here. They're starving for friendship. They don't know American culture. They show up at school. And there's these lovely people from this group called International Students Fellowship that reach out with friendship, that reach out in love. And every Friday night here at this campus, we've got a group of people that welcome international students in with a meal and love on them and care for them and help them to 
to learn the language of America and the culture of America, and I call that the most amazing missions opportunity in the 21st century. And some of us have no idea. And we have people that move in, we go, oh, no, it's another ethnicity down the block. You know, a lot of us are really prejudiced. I hear it. People moving into a neighborhood, people make jokes, you know, like, oh, you know, that group of people, they've got money. They just come in and buy homes. We've had two homes sell on our, our street in the last couple of months. And I hear kind of the little scuttle around the neighborhood sometimes about the kind of people that are prone to buy in the Bay Area that have money, that can put down cash. It's offensive. Praise God, we live in a melting pot. I'm so glad I'm in a place where the color is so beautiful. Three crosses. We, we, we've got to cherish this and leverage this more. Leverage this more. We are a multi-ethnic, multi-racial church. And we need to reflect that more and better in our leadership and in all areas. <laughs> I, I personally, I say, Lord, show us this. Help us. Because all these people are so beautiful and they're part of your kingdom. But we can't see him if we don't, we can't love him if we can't see him. I, oh, I'm out of time. Got a great story, but you'll have to come second service if you want to hear that story. <laughs> All right. We can be blinded from seeing people we don't like, from people to whom we feel superior, to people that were racially or ethnically different from us. One last thing. We can be blinded from seeing people whose religious views are different or unusual to us. Samaritans and Judaism, John 4. We're going to end this series in John 4. Remember Jesus sits with the little Samaritan gal? Oh, our fathers taught that we should worship on the mountain, blah, 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 blah. The disciples come back. They're in town getting their falafels, you know. <laughs> and they come back and they find Jesus. And it says in the text, John 4, it says, the disciples saw Jesus talking to a woman, but none of them asked, who is she or what can we do? None of them asked. You know what? The disciples didn't see this woman. Jesus saw her. I'm so glad Jesus sees me. In the Old Testament, Genesis 16, remember Hagar? She's running from Sarah in Abraham's home. She's desperate, hurting. She doesn't understand what's happened. And God shows up to her. And she names God in that verse, Genesis 16, 13. She names God El Roi. The God who sees me. Aren't you glad God sees you? If you're going to love your neighbor, you've got to start seeing people. You've got to start seeing people. So your homework this week is to look for people. Look for people. Ask God to open your eyes. And when you see people, love them. Lord, thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for this time.